I am afraid that I have much news, and most of it is terrible. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics, where we keep the rationalist community informed about what's going on outside of the rationalist community. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. This is episode number 83. We're recording on May 22nd, 2023. Uh, we've got a couple of follow-ups from previous stories. Uh, Inyash, are these you? They are me. All right. What's going on? Well, uh, we I don't even remember how long ago it was. Sometime this year, though, I think, we reported on how there was the water shortage and the fight over water rights on the Colorado River yep. and how many people were reliant on that. California, Arizona, and Nevada just earlier this week agreed to cut at least 3 million acre feet of water in the next couple years. Uh, That's around 10% of the state's Colorado River allocation. So they've basically figured it out and they will not be going to war with each other. All right. Yeah. And what I recall from when we covered this before, it was like they need to make a deal and they're just not doing it. Yes. Um, So they did it. Good job. They did. Yeah. All right. And what is this about China? China, in continuing to withdraw from the world economy, has banned U.S. chipmaker Micron from selling to Chinese companies that are working on key infrastructure projects. Now, to be fair, this is a very smart thing to do, and everybody should do that, but it's a thing China has done now, so there we go. Are you just saying that because it'll hurt AI? No, I- I'm saying that because if your state relies on infrastructure that is uh, chips that a different country makes, then you have given that country a backdoor into your infrastructure. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this certainly seems like I thought this was a thing we were already doing. Like, China's not allowed to buy chips. No, this is China saying China's not allowed to buy chips. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. thought we already said that. <laughs> they're, they're saying it harder. All right, then. All right, on to the new news. Uh, big news story this fortnight was Donald Trump found liable for sexual assault because uh, he totally sexually assaulted that lady. And mm-hmm. then claimed he didn't, and she sued him for... Well, so she stu- first, she just sued him for defamation, for going out and claiming that that it never happened. But then she refiled because the state of New York changed its laws to temporarily repeal the statute of limitations on sexual assault cases. And they did this specifically to go after Trump. I can't imagine that that's not true. That seems kind of bill of attainder e. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone came out and said that, but maybe some. I mean, I, maybe I, somebody did. I don't know. State legislatures are consistently uh, willing enough to say the quiet part out loud. That I'd be willing to bet that someone did, in fact, say that. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, it's not a bill of attainder though, because it's not naming him in in particular. It's saying this applies to everyone. Uh, which is all you need to avoid being a bill of attainder. I hate, and I mean, I like that he's being held um, held responsible. He did it. We all know he did it. It is good to be punished for when you do a bad thing. On the other hand, I hate that laws are being changed specifically to go after one person because that's just flagrant abuse of power and shouldn't happen. Yeah, and it's especially weird because it's just a temporary repeal. So there's yeah. a principled reason why they're like, you know what? Sexual assault is like so traumatizing that we don't think there should be a statute of limitations for you to be able to sue over it. And they're like, no, no, it's just going to be for a year. So you've got <laughs> one year where there's no statute of limitations. Then the statute of limitations is coming back. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty bullshit. Uh, but that's yeah. Like like at the same time, uh, Trump definitely did it. He did. But also, what do you say to people who who now point out that the government is specifically going after individual politicians that it didn't like, doesn't like? What do you mean? What do you like, say to them? You say you're correct. That's what's happening. That well, sucks. damn it! I'm I on your side. Say that. All right, you're right. Yeah. <sighs> Just because they're the enemy doesn't mean we can't tell them they're right. Mm. Um, we that's not that's not what we're like here. I guess I don't like living in this situation. Oh no, no, it's bad. Yeah. But it's not bad because, you know, we'll have to side with the other team sometimes. That's true. That's We should all be doing that. Okay. It's uh, kind of our entire ostensible shtick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought our shtick was yeah. that we don't have a side. Except for me, because I'm the dirty liberal. No, I think our shtick is, is acknowledging when the other side has a point. All right. Well, anyway, this case was fantastic. Um, because Trump's entire defense... Which he didn't even testify because God help the lawyer who puts Trump on the stand. <laughs> um, he'd probably he'd probably say something that would get him in criminal trouble instead of just civil like he was. But my favorite part of this is that Trump's whole defense was that, you know, he's not his type, which aside from being gross is demonstrably false because during his deposition, they showed him a picture of the plaintiff, and he mistook it for his wife, Marla Maples, hmm. his second wife, who he was so into that he completely blew up his first marriage, had to pursue her, and and married her. Not like, you know, had a thing on the side with her. Like, he married her. He was so obsessed with her. And that's who he thought the plaintiff was, who he's trying to say, like, ah, I'd never be into her. Yeah. Um, they did allow in the Access Hollywood tape uh, and evidence of other sexual assaults that Trump has committed. Um, that was a that was a change in, in New York law not targeting Trump. That had happened a while ago. But they specifically passed the law saying that in sexual assault civil cases, you can use evidence of prior sexual assaults, which honestly can- I think is probably good. Can't you always do that in, no. in court? What? No, no, no. In court, normally you can't use, um, it's called prior bad acts evidence or propensity evidence. Um, usually the judge, you know, can allow that in, but they almost never do. Because the idea is you're supposed to be, be proving he did this one. Just because, you know, he stole from somebody else last week doesn't mean he stole from you this week. It certainly increases yeah. the odds. It's Bayesian evidence. It is, yes, but basic, but there, but there's different definitions of evidence for the Bayesian scientific and legal contexts. Indeed. Hmm. Um, so the judge system. Robin Hansen knocks on about this like a good bit of the time. But it's a good rule generally because otherwise you can just be like, well, that guy's a thief, so 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 he clearly did it. Hmm. You know, you're just rounding up the usual suspects every time. Okay. Uh, but with for sexual assault, there's enough evidence out there that I think people who do it once tend to do it a lot. Um, that it, I think it's justified in cases like that, especially especially evidence like where you've caught him on tape admitting that he does sexual assault all the time. Yeah, <laughs> which which that is that is definitely a thing that happened to Donald Trump before he was elected, and people still elected him. In case anyone forgot about that. I am quite certain that no one has forgotten about that. 
All right. Anyone have any other comments about Donald Trump being a serial sexual assaulter? (laughs) No. No comments about Donald Trump ever. He might be the next president. We're going to have to talk about him. Yes, no. he's obviously going to be the next president. I know. <laughs> I actually don't think he's going to be. Once in future president Donald John Trump. I think he's going to get the nomination. He's going to lose again. But anyway, let's move on to our next story, which is that the federal government has approved the congestion pricing plan for New York City, uh, which... I'm annoyed that that's the thing the federal government has to approve. That is super annoying. Why does the Fed get involved in this? Because they just want to. They get involved in everything. It's really stupid. Yeah, this is the Department of Transportation's like, well, you can't do it without a permission slip from us. I mean, this this isn't interstate. This isn't this is like one small island within one city within one state. But it affects interstate commerce, Eniash. Oh my god. It if, mm, it's going to affect interstate commerce when I stab some feds. <laughs> Okay, so... uh, NSA, if you're listening, he's just kidding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If. Ha. You know they're listening. They love this podcast. Aw. All right. For the benefit of our listeners, there's a difference between doing stuff and saying you're going to do stuff. And sometimes, purely in the abstract, there's some things that may be good for you to do that you shouldn't say that you are going to do, or that it would be good if someone did them. If I had any plans to actually stab some feds, I would not advertise <laughs> it beforehand. Yeah, also, stabbing feds is not one of those things. Just That's the <laughs> thing you just shouldn't do. It's true. It's not going to help anything. Like I said, I was talking in pure hypothetical terms. Uh, okay. Uh, so the plan is, they're, they're apparently going to launch this next year. Um, in the second quarter, they say there's going to be it at peak times on Manhattan Island, which is not even a real island. What? what? Assholes. Yeah, Manhattan's not a real island. It's a what peninsula. Do you mean it's not a real island. No, it, it is an island. It has like a little stream separating it from uh, Queens. Or no, is it Queens or no? It, it has rivers separating it from the other boroughs. But if you go north, there's nothing. No, there's a there is a very very small like basically a stream separating it from uh, not Queens, um, Bronx. Uh, no, no, it's, yeah. no, no, it's not. That, that's not. Um, oh, you're right. There is a little stream there. No, that's just that's just some other city. That's not that's not part of New York City. Um, I'm pretty sure the Bronx is part of New York oh, City. Oh, you're right. No, it is the Bronx. Yeah. yeah, it is the Bronx up there. All right, I was wrong. Manhattan's a real island. <laughs> It just never looks like that on the map. It could zoom in so far. All right. So at peak times, they're going to charge between nine and twenty-three dollars for passenger vehicles to drive around, and twelve and eighty-two dollars for trucks, uh, which I think is awesome because congestion pricing is exactly what you should do when there's too much congestion. Yes. This is basic economics. If a resource is scarce. And lots of people want to use it. You charge money for it. Right, David? Yes, but I'm also just dying to see how the New York City government is going to fuck this up. I don't know, man. If there's one thing governments are good at, it's collecting money. Oh, I'm sure they'll collect the money. I'm just also sure that they'll, you know, figure out a way to do it in a way that destroys 
their economy and or the civil liberties of their citizens and or probably some innocent black kids are going to get shot over it. I was going to say, it's got to end up as racist somehow. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's already being called racist because it's going to be technically regressive because lump sum, uh, regardless of SES and uh, black people are disproportionately poor. I actually think that's not true that this will affect black people disproportionately because um, they tend not oh, to yes, drive. Yes, obviously not, but that's going to be the reasoning that people use to call it racist. Well, you know who's really pissed off about it is New Jersey. Uh, Why is New Jersey pissed? Because New Jersey has a lot of drivers that drive into New York City. And the, gov- the governor is all like, oh, how dare you pass this thing to charge New Jersey drivers even more for coming into your stupid city as in addition to all your stupid bridge tolls. It's like they're already paying like 30 bucks to get there. Now you got your hand out for more, you bastards. Okay. Well, he's just he's just being a dumbass. It does. I mean, you know, kind of sucks, but it's what you got to do. But it doesn't suck. It's good because then there won't be all this traffic. Well, sure, but, you know, nobody likes to pay some more dollars every day. I would love to pay money for there not to be traffic. That's a good point. You might be different from most people. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it sounds bad, but once they start doing it, I think people will like it. Yeah, no, most people don't think about that kind of thing in terms of, you know, cause and effect. Mm. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, But a lot more people probably take the train. You know, I am looking at this tiny-ass creek that separates Manhattan from the Bronx, and uh, I don't want to get into the is-it-an-island-or-not debate, but I could not wade uh, Harlem Creek or Harlem River or whatever it is, and if I cannot wade across it, it's big enough for me. Yeah, no, I said I was wrong. It's an island. I take it back. (laughs) All right. Uh, All right. Next story. Update on qualified immunity. It's even worse than we thought. Uh, no, I think it's just as bad as it always was, but uh, it might not even, I don't know, technically be, maybe, I guess, I don't know what the, how legality works in this situation. Um, it may have been snuck in by somebody, is what I am saying. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, definitely snuck in by the Supreme Court. Uh, but well, what okay, happened yeah. here was that the original uh, law... That they, the Supreme Court, like, magically decided that qualified immunity was implied by had an extra clause in it that got taken out when the statute was first revised into the federal register. Well, when it was compiled, right? It wasn't actually revised. It was just supposed to be copied over directly? Yes. Yeah. And they just left out a clause. Uh, Now, according to this article, because I read the whole article... That um, the first like consolidated statutes have that's the language that has legal effect. So even if you can prove that these these words were in the original uh, in the original statute, um, the the court's not just going to put them back in. No, obviously not. Uh, well, I, I mean, I I didn't think that was obvious. I thought if you were like, oh no, actually this was mistakenly transcribed, they would be like, oh, we'll put it back. I, I don't know. I think it's more like the income tax thing where some people are like, because of this technicality, it was never passed. It's like income tax has been around for like a century now. They're not going to repeal it because you may have found some technicality. Right, but those people are wrong. I, I don't think it would matter. Like, even if this was stuck right back in there, nobody's going to change how they 
interpret qualified immunity after 150 years of precedence. I mean, the current Supreme Court's not that big a fan of precedent. Mm, that's true. But especially if you could give them an excuse to be like, no, this was, <laughs> this law is actually different. Um, but uh, re- regardless, it is persuasive authority. Like, you, okay. they can look at this. So what it says is, um, in, in section 1983, uh, it, it basically says you can, it authorizes a private right to sue for violations of civil rights. Uh, and the words that were left out were any such law, statute, ordinance, regulation, custom, or usage of the state to the contrary, notwithstanding. And the the way they read in the qualified immunity to that statute was that they looked at, you know, laws, statutes, or ordinances, regulations, customs, and usages historically and said, well, Congress, you know, couldn't have meant to abrogate abrogate all of this um you know historical immunity that officers of the state traditionally got um so we're not gonna do that without clear language to the contrary and (laughs) turns out there was clear language to the contrary well uh but i mean this is the kind of thing the current supreme court does like to hang their hat on interesting so you know my fingers are crossed that this is there's going to be a new challenge to qualified immunity citing this and say look i mean this isn't you can't just put this back in the law but you can look at this and see the clear intent of the people who passed it which is what you guys are always talking about is is what controls everything yes because that's what originalism is (laughs) and we have a majority of originalists on the court so i mean i'm cautiously optimistic that this might have an effect well that would be wonderful that would be wonderful uh, but yeah, right now it sucks that that like we're just finding this out now. Because if that I, had been in there from the start, I feel like we probably wouldn't have the stupid qualified immunity bullshit. We almost certainly would not. And it feels like such a fucking clown world that someone back in 1874 was just like, I'm going to leave out those words. And it changed, you know, such a dramatic part of the entire law of the land. Yeah. Now, I mean, they might have just read it in anyway because, you know, courts basically just do what they want. Yeah. But they would have at least had to come up with a different excuse. Maybe. I mean, you know, we have the Ninth Amendment that specifically says that there are rights that aren't in the Bill of Rights. And some court 200 years ago was like, eh, this doesn't really mean anything. And we've just (laughs) been stuck with that forever. Mm. Uh, So, like, they don't always have real justifications for anything. Sometimes it's just like, well, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But like I said, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I think I think this this is a good thing. This is this, the, the the discovery of this makes it more likely that qualified immunity uh, will be overturned because uh, which is good because my prior before this was very low. Maybe we should have stuck this in the happy news section. Eh, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like bad news, but maybe implies that something good could happen. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's conditionally happiness, I guess. Having heard you say that this might actually change something, I am more happy than I was 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, it's still not likely, but it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty substantial update in that direction. Cool. All right. Next story. Facebook. Yes. Uh, Facebook, now called Meta, has been fined 1.2 billion don't euros. Don't call them Meta. They're, they're Facebook. Okay. 
um, <laughs> which is $1.3 billion, uh, by the European Union for violating EU privacy laws. They transferred a bunch of personal data from Facebook users to servers in the United States. Uh, you would think that is no big deal because Facebook is based in the United States and uh, data is data. But apparently... The European Union doesn't think so. Apparently, if the data is on hardware that is within the boundaries of the US, that is a big deal and they're going to find a lot of money. Uh, the meta has been ordered to cease processing the personal data of European users in the US for six within six months. And uh, this is all because the EU is worried that the US government can just requisition that data at any time to see whatever they want to about the European Union citizens which honestly you know that's fair that's 100 yeah, percent true that's uh yeah <laughs> but also i don't know how you're going to get around that aside from just kicking facebook out of europe or i don't know I, th I think they're trying to kick facebook out of europe <laughs> <laughs> okay remember the uh european union is kind of incredibly retarded <laughs> <laughs> uh they are quite technophobic i don't know if you read zvi's ai update this week but they no, are they have this they are considering legislation it hasn't passed yet but it's basically outlaws artificial intelligence hmm. like it doesn't do it doesn't exactly do that but it puts up enough roadblocks that like ai companies would would be in a no win situation and they might just not have ai in the european union well um, that's gonna cripple them if AI turns out to be good, and it's not gonna save them if AI destroys the world, right. so... <laughs> it's kind at of least like all downside. <laughs> at least they're leading by example, though. Maybe if they can convince everyone else to do the same thing. Maybe. I mean... Oh my god, Inyash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cringe. Look, look, David, good things are bad, Okay. Yeah, you can cringe all you want when you're dead, David. Inuyasha's official stance here is good things are bad. Some good things are bad. No, they aren't. Those are bad mm. things. Ah, uh, okay, well then, this is a bad thing. <laughs> you're a bad thing. <laughs> bad Inuyash. Hmm. Gonna take my ball and go home. <sighs> all right. Well, sorry, Facebook. Better luck next time. Mm. Uh, all right, now, on... To the best part of the news, Supreme Court news. Woohoo! Yay! Uh, first Supreme Court news is that the Supreme Court upheld California's ban on unethical pork, uh, which was passed as everything is passed in California by ballot proposition a few years ago, and it outlawed cages that pigs can't turn around in. So, not like, not an actual ethical pork law. Um, well, it, it gets rid of one avenue of pig torture. Right. They can still be in cages like, that are really small, yeah. but they at least have to be able to turn around. Yeah. And the really sad part is this bans most of the pork produced in America. Yes. Oh, God. I mean, the really, really sad part is this buys into the implicit moral claim that torturing pigs is morally wrong. It doesn't buy into that. It's just, you know. No, I mean, I mean the law does, not the Supreme Court decision. No, no, no. Look, the law says uh, people don't like it. It doesn't have to be wrong for people not to like it. Eh, that's fair, I guess. I don't like no. it, and I don't even believe in right and wrong. <laughs> I'd rather pay a little extra for pork if the pigs aren't tortured. Yeah. This isn't going to, like, double the price of pork, is it? No. 
I would. Well, I would well actually, pay, I would pay more for pork where the pig is tortured. Oh my god. God. <laughs> you can just buy your own pig and torture it if you're that into the torture. I mean, I can just, you know, go to Texas and then I don't even have to buy it. For those but, of uh, you who don't know, David just got back from a trip where he was shooting at pigs. So I feel like he's feeling um, really anti-pig right now. Well, but hold uh, on. I have, been, th- I have been anti-pig for a long time. Pigs are legitimately evil. I think shooting at wild pigs is probably the most ethical way to get pig meat because at least they were living their best pig lives before they got shot. Yeah, plus they're, like, a real problem. Yeah, it's just, you know, the least cost-effective way to do it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of, you know, going to Texas and shooting at pigs. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just not in favor of putting them in tiny cages where they can't turn around. Yeah. Um, so you said this won't double the price of pork. I actually don't know that. Um, it certainly wouldn't double the price of pork if everyone just, like, installed new cages. Um, but it, it remains to be seen, like, how much pork is going to cost in California, because right now, like I said, the majority of the pork produced in the U.S. is, is, can, cannot be sold there. Oh, right, yeah. If, if all of a sudden they're stuck with one supplier that cannot meet their demand at all, then their price is going to skyrocket. Right. Oh. Um, so, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know the... The intricacies of the uh, U.S. pork market. Um, all I know is that the voters of the state of California voted this in, and the Supreme Court allowed it. Uh, it was an interesting decision because it was five to four, so it was real close. Hmm. Um, and in the majority were Gorsuch, Kagan, Sotomayor, Thomas, and Barrett. So well, some strange a- bedfellows there. <laughs> yeah. And the dissent was written by Roberts. Joined by Alito, Kavanaugh, and Katanji Brown-Jackson. What the hell? Yeah, so the heart of this case is a really fun doctrine called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which is the idea that because the Constitution gives the federal government uh, authority to regulate interstate commerce, states cannot regulate interstate commerce. And that's mostly been used to overturn laws where states are privileging their own in-state businesses over other businesses. Mm. Uh, So you can't enact, like, a tariff. Uh, New Jersey can't enact a tariff on Pennsylvania goods. We have to let Pennsylvania come in and compete on an even playing field with New Jersey companies. And there was an argument here that this was going to have such a huge effect on interstate commerce because California is such a big part of the market for pork, 13% of the entire country, um, that it's going to hugely burden interstate commerce in a way that states aren't really allowed to do. Um, that, that, that if, if you're going to, a law that's going to have that big an effect on interstate commerce needs to come from the federal government. And that was what the four dissenters argued. Um, there's supposed to be this balancing test. You're supposed to balance the burden on interstate commerce versus the local benefit. Um, and that that should have been what the lower court did. So they, were, they weren't going to say which way it should come out. They just wanted to send it back to the lower court to like do this balancing test. Uh, but the, the five majorities said, no, no, no. Look, this isn't um, discriminating against out-of-state producers. This isn't privileging in-state pork producers. Everyone has to follow these rules, and there's no evidence that you know, California companies can do this easier than other companies. Um, this is just... You know, the people of California want don't want this certain product sold there, so they're allowed to do that. 
You know, we have a, uh, a technique for dealing with products that you don't like. It's called not buying them. <laughs> you don't need to pass a law, California. I mean, you kind of do if you oh. actually want pigs to not be put in tiny cages. Just empirically. Well, it sounds like Tyson Foods and Hormel have agreed to comply with Prop 12 already. I mean, what else are they going to do? Hmm. I mean, I, I thought they could just not sell to California, but I guess they've chosen not to do that. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Okay. They're going to do. They're going to comply. Or they're going to pretend to comply, at least. Hmm. All right. Next Supreme Court case. Next Supreme Court case is the rules against plaintiffs. Actually, David, do you want to read this one before I continue? Um, I mean, I would just be reading it off the outline. <laughs> Guys, when they say I got back from hunting pigs, they mean I literally got back at seven in the morning this morning after doing a straight through 20 hour drive from austin texas to salt lake city so oh, i am shit. sorry if you're not getting as much david content as you like in the mind killer you know that's why people subscribe to the mind killer yes i want that sweet sweet david content <laughs> yeah. i mean if if you guys really wanted um the good David content, then we should have recorded this at like 7.30 in the morning after I just walked through the door and was still kind of high on amphetamines that I used to not fall asleep at the wheel. That would have been right, That could have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> we have to have a special um, listener. No, Patreon only episode. Not Patreon. Uh, you realize that this is a thing that happened in the past, right? No, in the future, we can get you high on amphetamines and then do an episode. Okay, but you need to get me high on amphetamines and then have me drive for 20 hours straight. Which, you know, is doable in in principle, but no. let's just be honest about what the uh, actual challenge we're facing here is. Let's skip that. What we are going to do is record an episode at Vibe Camp. I'm so, I'm so serious about that. Oh shit, are we? Yeah, let's do it. Fuck yeah, I'm down. Ugh. Assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There won't be any of that David content that people are tuning in for. Oh, man. Um, no, we should find someone to, like, interview and to do a bonus episode. Well, Robin Hansen sounds like he's going to be yeah, there. Yeah, Robin Hansen's going to be there. We could get Ayla again. We could uh, just, just get Brooke on there to see if she wants oh, to talk yeah. about Vibe Camp. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're doing it. All right. Anyway, uh, we, have, we have another Supreme Court story. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, there were some people who tried to sue Google and Twitter uh, to hold them financially liable for some terrorists using their platforms and algorithms to recruit members and then launch deadly attacks, according to their claims. Uh, They said that the plaintiffs, sorry, uh, the Supreme Court ruled against them. They said that these platforms don't actually assist terrorists in the first place, and the plaintiffs failed to show that the defendants knowingly gave substantial assistance and thereby aided and abetted ISIS's acts. Uh, A contrary conclusion would effectively hold any sort of communications provider liable for any sort of wrongdoing merely for knowing that the wrongdoers were using its services and failing to stop them. Uh, I think that this was pretty much exactly what these people wanted to do in fact that the, does uh, sound like it doesn't it <laughs> yeah and uh they're like anyone that we do not approve of 
will be frozen out of all all tools of the modern world completely, uh, which, you no, know... No, nobody wants to do that, Eniash. It sounds like a good idea when you say, you know, it's about ISIS, but then that gets applied to absolutely anybody who angers someone that is in power, and that's just bad. Well, well uh, good thing we never do that. It is a good... Well, you and me don't do that. David sometimes <laughs> might. <laughs> No, David doesn't either. I'm just picking on him because he's too uh, high to defend himself. But yeah, this was a bullshit lawsuit, and it was very nice to see the uh, Supreme Court smack it down unanimously. Yeah, y'all. No dissents. Everyone was like, yeah, this is bullshit. Get out of here. Uh, unfortunately, it was not a broad ruling. It was, in fact, a very narrow ruling focusing on these two specific cases with very specific facts, saying that actually Google did not knowingly assist terrorists, which uh, still leaves a lot of... Some leeway for things, but at least this got smacked down. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll see uh, about future rulings, but I f- have a feeling they're all going to be this uh, this style. I mean, Section Two Thirty is pretty clear. Yeah, that it's like you are not liable for things people do on your platforms if they are doing them and you're not doing them for them. It is, but the Supreme Court specifically did not talk about Two Thirty or use it in their ruling, which is why interesting. Uh, yeah, which is why uh, the commentary on it says that it is very specific, because it looks like they were trying to avoid talking about Section 230 at all. Uh, yeah, they do that a lot um, to get a unanimous opinion. Mm. If there's, like, one part everyone agrees on, they'll just they'll just be like, all right, well, we'll just do it on these grounds, and we won't even mention anything else. Okay. I, they, I, also, they also might be signaling that uh, this general logic is going to hold, even if one of the stupid repeal Section 230 bills goes through. True. Uh, it could be, yeah. yeah, it could be It could be helpful to have a precedent out there that doesn't re- rest on 230. Nice. Thinking ahead. Um, but, God, that don't, don't repeal that. Yeah. Hey, we have a lawyer on the Mind Killer. Can the Mind Killer file an amicus brief? We could, even if we didn't have a lawyer. Yeah, anyone, what? anyone can file an amicus brief, but you, you have can, to you have to get court permission to do it. You can just oh. draw something uh, on a napkin <laughs> with a crayon and then mail it into the Supreme Court, and they might let it in. You do have to include a request to file an amicus brief. Who decides uh, whether that request gets granted? The Supreme Court. Well, not the nine justices, though, right? Yeah. Then then why are you bothering with the request if they have to read it anyway? Because they only have to read the request. They don't have to read the brief. Oh, okay. And in the request, you say why they should listen to right. you at all. You say, okay. we're a, you know, a highly influential podcast mm, with yes. many distinguished fans and subscribers. Um, and you know, we feel that our interests should be uh, represented here. Um, and we're also super smarty, smart pantses. Yeah. Um, so listen to us and then they'll be like, oh, well, yes, of course. Everyone knows the mind killer podcast. Of course I'll accept your brief. And then they'll read they the have, brief. that's right. They have 83 episodes published. That's, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. Yeah. Uh, we, this podcast has lasted a hell of a lot longer than, um, most of the New York times podcasts. <laughs> I have they recently canceled a lot of podcasts or something. They cancel podcasts like once a week. Oh, okay. They should get some better podcasts. Well, it's funny because they keep they they have a podcast that's like you know two liberals argue with like a moderate who's a little right of center show. And <laughs> that that keep, sounds like our podcast. They keep, but they keep renaming it, so it's uh, like they'll be like, "All right, that podcast is canceled. Here's a new podcast: two liberals argue with a sort of right of center moderate." <laughs> and it's always Rust outfit. 
<laughs> it's two liberals argue with Ross Douth at the show. I think it's got a new name now. It's it used to be the argument. Now it's uh, I don't even remember something dumb. But it's we not gotta, a new show. It's the same show. And we got to get Ross Douth on our show so we can have two liberals <laughs> argue with him. Tell him to come to Vibe Camp. <laughs> nice. All right. Next story. This is our yeah. final Supreme Court story and involves Andy Warhol and Prince. Yes, I went a little bit deeper on this one because it touches on subjects uh, that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, The details behind this is that uh, Andy Warhol, back in the day, got a picture from a photographer of Prince and uh, then did some things to it, flattened it, put colors on it. You know, he did his Andy Warhol thing. And, uh, And he did this for Vanity Fair so they could use his transformation of the photograph for one of their covers yeah and if you look at it there's so it's there's like a photograph of prince just just very lifelike you know that that the uh the photographer took and then the andy warhol piece is a silk screen it's like in that pop art style where it's got a solid background and it's like like almost monocolor um but it's clearly the same picture yes it looks like it has been Andy Warhol. If you've right. seen an Andy Warhol piece of art, you know what it looks like. <laughs> right. If there was a Snapchat filter called Andy Warhol, it looks like that's what happened to it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so when this happened back in 1984, Vanity Fair paid $400, use to, $400 to use that. Uh, the prince died and after <laughs> back in 2016, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Uh, when he died, Vanity Fair ran another cover uh, about him. Another cover with him on the picture. Cover story was about Prince. There we go. And therefore, he was on the cover, and they used another piece from that series that Andy Warhol did. They paid the Warhol estate $10,000 for the second one in 2016, but the photographer was not notified that uh, this was being done. Her work was being used like this again, nor was the photographer paid anything in this case. And when the photographer found out, photographer found out, she was like, hey, hold up a minute. I only licensed that first cover, not the second one. What's going on here? Uh, I should get some money for this. And uh, the Andy Warhol estate basically said nuh-uh and tried an affirmative defense to to take it to court before she could take them to court. Yeah, they argued fair use. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the court came down on the side of the photographer saying that the estate did infringe on the photographer's copyright and they owe her some money now. This case is interesting because, uh, as I hope all of our audience knows by now everything is a remix. Uh, there is nothing, there's no art that is completely original. Uh, and so the question comes down to like how much, how derivative do you have to be? How transformative do you have to have done to something? Wes, I do good words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like I'm David right now. <laughs> uh, what is it you're trying to say? Was this a fair use of her photograph? No. Or should they have licensed it from her was the question. Well, so uh, this is a, a case where um, I seem to like, this is how I feel about a lot of Supreme Court cases where I think they were right on the law, but the law is stupid. <laughs> okay. And the law should be different. Um, I think they're right that if, you know, I take a photograph, you make a painting based on my photograph and you want to license that to somebody else, I need to get a cut, because that's just how copyright law is. Um, you, It's a derivative work, and yeah. derivative works are still belong to the original copyright holder. Uh, I don't think they should, mm. but that's the state of the law. Yeah, 
Uh, that's more or less what the court said. Uh, they said it's not fair use because it shares substantially the same purpose as the photo, being um, to be used as a cover for a magazine. Uh, the They said Warhol could have easily based his work on any other photograph. Uh, there was, interestingly, some extreme dissent by Kagan on this. Uh, in her dissent, she got spicy. She told the majority to go back to school for uh, an art history refresher. Uh, she said that obviously the photograph and the silk screen do not have the same aesthetic characteristics. They did not convey the same meaning. There is precious little evidence in today's opinion that the majority has actually looked at these images. And she ended it saying that it will make our world poorer. Hey, she's not wrong. The Sotomayor rebutted the dissent in, in her opinion, which... I, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this an unusual thing to happen? No. Oh, okay. No, majority. Part of the reason it takes so long for courts to publish their opinions is because all the the majority opinions get written and the dissents get written, and then they can look at you know the majority writers will look at the dissent and that they'll often put in things rebutting the dissent. Okay, that's pretty normal. It was apparently more vociferous than usual to the point where several sources that I read said that, yeah, this is crazy how, how much the two justices seem to dislike each other and snipe at each other about this. Uh, Sotomayor said that this ruling will not snuff out the light of Western civilization, returning us to the Dark Ages. And she said that Kagan's dissent is a series of misstatements and exaggerations from its very first sentence to its very last. Shots uh, fired. Seriously, yeah. Uh, every All the justices, however, do agree that Warhol's artistic contribution is substantial and reflects an aesthetic intention not shared by the photographer, Goldsmith. Uh, but Sotomayor and the majority feels that the only relevant feature of Warhol's use is the commercial licensing of an image. And uh, that was that was where they, they had their big split. I, I basically agree with you. I think it's stupid that the original creator has complete copyright uh, hold over everything all derivative works and mm -hmm. that should not happen uh, i do think that they should all get any derivative use should get a cut like this this would solve the fan fiction problem by itself immediately i i like the solution that me and steven use in our fan cast about other works where we just give 15 percent of any profit we make back to the original creator i think everyone should do this because then you know if you're just doing something for fun and you don't make any profit, it don't matter. You can do whatever you want and you don't have to worry about getting sued for tens of thousands or more dollars. Uh, but if you actually do somehow blow up and your Twilight fanfic turns into Fifty Shades of Grey and you get really rich, you kick back 15% to the people who started it because then everyone's happy. You have gotten a lot of money from your fanfic work and the original creator got 15% of that for, you know, doing nothing aside from inspiring you, which is a big thing too. Inspiration's hard, man. And Anarcho-capitalism solves this. What is the anarcho-capitalist solution? Um, let different companies offer different um, um, property right regimes and then let the free market sort them out. I don't know what the right solution is, but I know the meta solution that will get us there. And it's, it's, it's markets for law services. Okay. Subscription governments, as I like to call it. Yeah. The main the main downside to my 15% solution is that it requires a lot of trust and goodwill on both sides because for a long time, I don't know if this is still the case in Hollywood, probably still is, but for a long time, anyone who took a percentage as uh, their fee in a Hollywood deal was a complete sucker because Hollywood always managed to make it look like officially on the books. No movie ever made any money, regardless of how hmm. mon much money it actually made. So you would always get 15% of zero under this proposed solution of mine. Uh, unless people are actually 
actually, you know, honest, and that, that just doesn't happen very often, I guess. Well, you know, there's also an obvious solution to the fanfic issue. Hmm? Legalize it. I yes. mean, that's basically what's happening now. Uh, tons of people are writing fanfic, and it's fine. It yeah. actually creates more interest in yeah. the original works. Uh, it's not causing any problems for anybody, uh, uh, you know, except people who are, like, super uptight about it. And those are, they're making those problems themselves. Yeah. Uh, just say derivative works, you know, aren't covered by copyright. I, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I think, you know, I think if you're telling the same story in a different medium, that's, there's a case for copyright. But if you're telling a different story, just using those characters or changing the story um, in a meaningful way, then I don't think that should that just don't copy don't have copyright law cover that easy. I think it's interesting. I assume Stephen King got a fair chunk of money for The Running Man. Uh, if you've read The Running Man, it has almost nothing at all to do with the movie. Yeah, it's it's. It's a different movie. I don't think he should have gotten money for it. <laughs> because okay. somebody else wrote an entirely different movie, and they used the same two words of Burning Man. <laughs> Just like, I like that title. <laughs> yeah. Here, here, Steven, have some money. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I will cash this check. Uh, the... I mean, he shouldn't have gotten nothing because, you know, being able to slap Stephen King's name on the movie probably moved at least a couple tickets. Yeah, that's probably true. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree there. Yep. Based on the story yeah. by Stephen King. <laughs> loosely based. It's the uh, McDonald's, the <laughs> McDonald's franchise approach to intellectual property, as twere. Yeah. Anyways, the, the last thing I want to say is that this is very reminiscent of the 1991 case, which I'd heard about, but, you know, I didn't know the year or what the details were until this came up. There was a 1991 case, Grand Upright Music versus Warner Brother Records, where the Supreme Court clamped down on unauthorized sampling in music, which ended uh, a relatively innovative era in hip-hop, where a lot of sampling was used. And now only really wealthy artists can use commercial sampling uh, the way that everybody used to. So, yeah, the rich people can still get licenses, but the poor people don't. And that is the story of, you know, all of humanity, I guess. Kind of a bummer. Did you know that that's how hip-hop started? What do you mean, that's how it started? So, hip-hop as a genre got started um, by artists um, at dance clubs rapping over the, like, dance breaks in the songs. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and they would, um, and DJs would like remix the tracks to make the dance breaks longer because people wanted to dance to them. Yeah, and then they would have, and then people got the idea, like, what if I get up and rap over this? So that's hmm. why there was so much sampling in in early rap because that was the origin of the genre. Neat. Yeah, I thought that was cool when I learned that. So yeah. speaking of emerging legal regimes where the rich get to do whatever they want and the poor get shafted. Hmm. Are we I moving on we to have AI? Some AI news. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we have some AI news. I see what you did there. You're sniping at this AI regulation thing, aren't you, David? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, specifically, the, uh, Sam Altman wants regulation, which is just it's just precious. This is like every industry ever. Is like the the early adopters get in and try to pull up the ladder behind them, and they're like, "Oh I, yeah, we need the government to get involved. Uh, stop all these uh, competitors." I agree with you one hundred percent, but in this one case, they're right. God 
<laughs> fucking Dan <laughs> David, good things are bad. <laughs> this one thing is bad, though. It's not even good. Right. It's going to prevent good things. And good things are bad, so it's good. No. No. <laughs> Extinction is bad. We should avoid it. All right. Anyway, what's the actual news? Actual news. Uh, last week, this actually happened before just... Briefly before our episode went out, but it didn't get in because we had lots of other things to talk about, which I thought were more interesting and important. But uh, two and a half, three weeks ago, there was a White House AI meeting between Google CEO, Microsoft, somebody's person, Anthropic, somebody's CEO, and OpenAI, Sam Altman. Uh, all, all of these news stories today are about Altman, except for the very last one. It, it is Altman week. Uh, they all met at the White House with Kamala Harris potentially some other people too i hear uh joe biden walked in said Ah, hello notoriously effective politician kamala harris (laughs) yeah i know but i I think you know she has the ability to sit down and concentrate on something (laughs) for more than 40 seconds at a time i love how (laughs) biden's just giving her all the worst jobs (laughs) he's like you solve immigration oh uh oh there's no good answer there all right you go solve ai (laughs) Honestly, if I had the um, if I had the ability to torture and humiliate Kamala Harris, I'm not sure I wouldn't do the same. I mean, she's into doing that to other people, so yeah, yeah, she couldn't is. Ha- could, could I could think of worse people? So they had a meeting. Uh, we didn't hear much about it. There was another uh, not meeting. Altman testified before Congress, along with two other people who don't matter. Uh, this was just in the last week. Uh, he recommended regulation. hearings are meetings. Are they meetings? Yeah, they're just meetings on TV. Okay, fair enough then. Uh, he recommended regulation, of course. In this case, it's a good thing that he did so. Uh, <laughs> he answered a lot of questions. Uh, I think... My favorite question out of all this was Senator Blumenthal uh, saying to Altman, I think you have said, in fact, and I'm going to quote, development of superhuman machine intelligence is probably the greatest threat to the continued existence of humanity. You may have had in mind the effect on jobs. (laughs) (laughs) It might kill us all. It might kill us all. I mean, it might take our jobs. So, uh, Pinyash, tell me more about how we should trust these people with the future of the human race. I mean, we shouldn't, but what other choice do we have? The robots. We could trust the robots. That feels like a worse idea in my mind. Worse than this guy? Yes. (laughs) This guy at least needs oxygen. True. Yeah. (sighs) Anyways, that happened. All right, Um, what else happened? What else has uh, our buddy Sam Altman been up to? Sam Altman has privately suggested, uh, this was reported by an inside source, that OpenAI may try to raise as much as $100 billion in the coming years to achieve its aim of developing I really AGI. Hope, I really hope you had your pinky up for that one. <laughs> I, uh, my pinky was somewhere. <laughs> $100 billion! <laughs> it is so many dollars. Uh, he says... The aim of developing artificial general intelligence that is advanced enough to improve its own capabilities. Oh, the world Sam killer Altman, kind. Stop! Stop it, please! <laughs> it's like it's like in front of Congress. Like we need to regulate this AI, guys. It's really dangerous. <laughs> and then as soon as he leaves, he's like, "Hey, let's let's make the world killer." Yeah. You guys got any of that AI stuff? <laughs> All right, Project Torment Nexus, let's go. (laughs) 
on top of all that, this just a couple hours ago now, uh, from when we're recording, OpenAI published an official public statement on regulation. I'm guessing this one sucked too. I mean, it's it's what you would expect. Governance of superintelligence. Yes. Oh, that's I- ambitious. <laughs> it's once if we like we're gonna get superintelligence and then be able to govern it. Well, the thing is, this is surprisingly short. It's like ten paragraphs, maybe. It's it's a very broad kind of you know AI is transformative and will change things a lot, and we should regulate it. Statement. I really hope this is the beginning of something broader, deeper, like more. Uh, but at least there is this publicly available statement. That's that's better than nothing. This is pretty short. Yeah. Given the picture as we see it now, it's conceivable that within the next 10 years, AI systems will exceed expert skill level in most domains and carry out as much productive activity as one of today's largest corporations. Well, gee, Sam, how could that happen? Who, who would do such a thing? <laughs> I love the passive voice here. It's not like we are actively trying to do this. It's this might happen. Yeah. Uh That'll be great. While we're uh, wish casting, having actually good regulations for stuff, uh, is now a good time to revisit my proposal that we implement the death penalty for use of the passive voice in technical no. writing? No, it's not. Please. No, <laughs> no David. <laughs> By death penalty, you mean death to their jobs as technical writers, right? No, I mean put them against the wall. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> David's really violent this episode. <laughs> Well, at least he's, like, doing it at a distance instead of stabbing them. Oh, man, these were those those quarter-baked takes I was promised. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else is going on in the AI world? Finally, how, the last... How is this not our lead story? This is more interesting than everything else we've talked about this episode so far put together. The context window? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> AI news is at the bottom, and we had so much Altman stuff, I decided to front-load it. Anyway, what's the story? Also, I thought that we might have covered this in the last Inyash, episode, what's so the I was story? hesitant. Tell our listeners the what the story is. Don't leave uh, them in suspense. I, I, I'm I fear... actually going to be interested to see if you describe <laughs> the technical details correctly, because, you know, you're in the whole AI Doomer camp, and they tend to not describe technical details correctly. You guys, our listeners still don't know what the story is. What is it? Yeah, now that I have to be technically correct, I'm going to say that Anthropic <laughs> is really smart. <laughs> And they did a smartness with their AI. <laughs> what kind of smartness? The big kind. The 100,000 tokens kind of smartness. Uh, yeah, so this uh, on our outline here, it says Anthropic's chat context window expanded to 100,000 tokens. Yeah, Anthropic is an open AI competitor. They claim they are more, um, more focused better. on safety. Yeah, more <laughs> focused on safety than open AI is. Uh, I don't know who to believe anymore. Um, probably not Anthropic, though. Uh, their chatbot, Claude, has had its context window expanded to 100,000 tokens, which is about 75,000 words, which means that in, you know, in the chatbot, in the chat frame, where you can type in a thing and the AI reads it and goes off of that, you can now put in the contents of a small novel, of a medium-sized novel, of a full-sized novel, honestly, at 75,000 words. Oh, come on. Great Gatsby's not a full-sized novel. uh No, it's not. Uh, it's actually cooler than that. Um, so not only can you put in a fuck ton of tokens for the prompt, uh, basically the way these chatbots work is it backfeeds the entire conversation you've had up to this point 
into whatever prompt you put in. So if I say hi, and then chat the chatbot says hi, and then I say how are you, then the chatbot gets David, hi, chatbot, hi, uh, David, how are you, uh, as the entire prompt. So not only does this mean you can manually fat finger in a much longer prompt, it also means it'll remember much more of your preceding conversation. And this means you can do things like uh, backfeed a lot more um, uh, history of your conversation, uh, facts about things that have occurred since the training data uh, stopped being collected, etc., uh, which will, in general, give you a lot more flexibility with what you can actually do with these things. Didn't Bing, like, just a, a month ago or two months ago, like, intentionally limit its context window? Yeah, context- because Because that makes it act super weird and can... It doesn't make it act super weird, it's just really expensive. The, the, well, I thought I they did it because the context, people... The big context window is what makes fancier llms more expensive to run it's not the only thing but it's but i thought being limited theirs because that that journalist was able to get it to you know show it its dark personality or whatever um and they were like all right you know what you only get 10 prompts now and then it's going to forget everything uh yeah yeah so that's not limiting the context window that's just limiting the number of exchanges you can have before it drops the conversation uh so like you could have uh so you could have a five exchange conversation with uh bing gdp gtp um gpt sorry um, but if you, like, write it a novel for the first thing in your conversation, then it'll have however much of that fits into its context window as its context window. I do believe part of the problem with being going crazy with really long conversations was that it would forget the earlier stuff in the conversation and not have context to go off of because of the limited context window. No. Yeah. All right, then. I At least that was one of the things that was claimed. Uh, but yeah, the this is a huge upgrade. The Usually the tokens used were in the several thousands range. What is this? Uh, up from 9,000 before, the really expensive full GTP4 model is 32,000 tokens. Uh, obviously, none of us have played with that one, but this is, you know, still triple that amount. So it is, it is big. It's a big deal. Neato. Yeah. All right. Uh, and what is our last story here in New News? Our last story is that someone really pissed off some orcas. <laughs> <laughs> there, we shouldn't a... have freed Willy. <laughs> uh, there's orcas going around capsizing boats right now. Uh, they, the, the one that I read about was the two smaller orcas battered back and forth at the rudder while the large orca repeatedly slammed into the side of the boat until it capsized. Uh, they, they've been doing this for a couple weeks. Uh, I think they've got three so far. And according to these experts that they talked to for this um, for this article, uh, they, they are being led by a female orca that is called White Gladys. 
which, first of all, I should not be surprised that something inhuman that wants to kill all humans is named Gladys. Uh, and this this orca is teaching the other orcas how to do this thing. Um, they think maybe something happened to her, and she's really pissed off at boats now. And uh, all the other the other orcas that are teaming up with her are just kind of following her lead. Not sure if this is going to be like a learned behavior that stays around, or if this is a quote unquote fad in the orca society. But yeah, someone someone pissed off some orcas, and they are capsizing boats right now. Bet. Yeah, sounds like a triumph. Bet you five bucks <laughs> it's because of offshore wind power development (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it is in europe Hmm. um i'm on team orca here they're not like eating the people after they capsize the boat right not as far as i've heard who says they're even pissed off maybe they're just having fun (laughs) (laughs) i guess just like flipping over boats it's like like cow tipping no it's because when they tip over the boat they float uh, they you know swim away with two raised middle fingers yeah right (laughs) (laughs) fuck you guys (laughs) yep weird that they got fingers just for that (laughs) <laughs> how else would we know we're pissed off they had right? to get them yeah, yeah that's right uh, i bet you know i bet whales do have like a like a tail position or something that shows they're pissed off probably but also it's probably underwater it is probably underwater you are correct yeah so we wouldn't be able to see it you Eniash, yeah you know we can see underwater right do we have amazing technology that allows us to see underwater we do huh it's called plastic <laughs> also just you know eyes water is permeable to light my dude i don't know if you've tried opening your eyes underwater without a sheet of plastic in front of them you cannot see you very can much. see underwater yeah. from yeah. outside of the yeah. water <laughs> have you okay. looked in water before i i am actually now remembering um looking down on a whale in hawaii that was about 60 feet down <laughs> But, in my defense, I was looking straight down and not at an angle, which is what I assumed most people would be doing if they're trying to look at an orca that just flipped over a boat. You can still see things from an angle. The light just gets diffracted. No, the light reflects off the surface of the water and all you see is shiny sun. I mean, if yes, you can get glare in it, but sometimes that, that's only if the light's at the right angle. Hmm. Dear God, Ineash. <laughs> my eyes apparently are not as advanced as your guys' eyes. Apparently not. I have not unlocked the water-seeing tr- part of the tech tree. All right. Well, that brings us to happy news. Yay. Good news, everyone. We have light on the happy news this week, but we've got one. We do. All right. What is it? Well, semaglutide, the weight loss drug, appears to end addictive behavior for some users. What? Uh, yeah, it's weird. People taking uh, what it, Ozem, Ozempic, I guess, is the brand name. Uh, for weight loss, say that they have stopped drinking, smoking, shopping, and even nail biting. Uh, not all of them, but a significant enough percentage that people have noticed and are going to start doing studies on it now. Uh, could just be placebo effect, especially if other people have heard that that semaglutide does this. But I did also hear that um, people who were on it s- seem to have significantly more um, self control. Uh, willpower than they did before so i don't know it it sounds like we've accidentally discovered a drug that may have some additional effects that could be very interesting for the human race is is semaglutide just amphetamines no because it's sounding a lot like amphetamines i was gonna say this sounds like ritalin (laughs) it it is uh a not glaucoma what is the thing for your low blood sugar diabetes yes it is a diabetes drug originally you uh 
So I know that it's not amphetamines. You know I that, promise that doesn't exclude it from being amphetamines, right? No, but it's not. It's a totally different thing. Um, it's, I I actually hear this and I'm like, oh no. Why is that? Because I feel like I feel like if they're, this is just a weird side effect that I feel like is going to have like other effects. Like people are going to stop like you know doing fun stuff. I yes, this would have huge effects on society. Like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, it gets people to stop drinking and smoking and shopping and nail biting. But, like, also they stop going outside and seeing their friends and having a good time because they're just content to sit there and do nothing. And the people who were interviewed in the article said they were very happy Wait, that hang they did on, not feel Wes, compulsions. aren't you the pro-wireheading guy on this pod? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why, what's your beef with sitting around being content? That's like your whole shtick. No, wireheading is not going to make you content. It's going to make you ecstatically happy. And I don't settle for anything less than that. Okay, fair enough, I guess. What if these people are much happier being content than they were when they were smoking and drinking? Yeah, then that's fine. Okay. Um, related story. Um, this is uh, something Oscar on the Discord pointed out, is that WeGovi, um, another brand name of semaglutide, uh, has a pill form that has passed a phase three trial. And is probably going to get approved later this year. Oh, uh, which is nice because uh, previously you could only get it in injectable. Yeah, injections are a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, no word yet if it's going to cost less, but probably not. Which is the real problem with it. Hmm. It's like over $1,000 a month. Oh, wow. Okay. That is yeah. A yeah, I got a, I got a prescription for it and never filled it because I was like, my insurance was like, fuck you. And then it's like. All right, uh, it's like $1,300 for a month's supply. I'm like, never mind. Yeah, but if we all live for another 9 to 18 years, then it'll be much cheaper. Uh, hopefully, yeah. yeah. I don't know. These companies have a way of not having that happen sometimes. That is true. But uh, hopefully this won't be one of those. All yeah. right, that brings us to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield every episode. And we'll start with David. Yeah, so as promised last episode, I do in fact have a smorgasbord of takeaways from my pig hunt. Uh, <laughs> first takeaway, hunting is an incredible bonding activity. Like, I can tell that this is the thing that dudes evolved to do with each other in order to, uh, like, get close to each other and get used to cooperating. Because, hmm. uh, like, for for this hunt, I was in the middle of the night sitting in a small plywood box with one other dude with extreme focus on a vista where not much was happening most of the time. And, like, we just, you know, talked about stuff and listened to the night sounds and watched the Texas lightning storm and freaked out when we saw a, a grasshopper that's bigger than any grasshopper I've ever seen. In fact, like, Twice as big as the next biggest grasshopper I've seen. And it was freaking great. Like, the, uh, I deliberately went out of my way to uh, go out into the field with guys I didn't know that well. And, like, I, I it, like some weird alchemy happened. And now I feel like they're some of my best friends. Um, Aww. Uh, also, uh, pigs do, in fact, remain evil. And it is ethically permissible, nay, obligatory to kill them. 
Um, also, their bones are very cool, so you get fun decorations as a uh, nice little bonus treat along with the bacon and the virtue points. Uh, also, as mentioned, I had a very, very long road trip, and I used that road trip to listen to the uh, collected works of Conan the Barbarian short stories, or as they were pu- hmm. uh, as they were published, uh, Conan the Sumerian. Uh, and holy crap, you guys! The Conan short stories are really freaking good, and also the archetype of Conan that's entered pop culture is completely wrong. He's a much more interesting character than the impression you have of him portrayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1980s movie, I think, would lead yeah. you to believe. And so, yeah, go go hunting, go hunting with your friends, especially if you're a dude and your friends are dudes. Uh, I can't specifically endorse it from experience for the ladies but it might work there too and also read the conan stories all right thank you david eniash what do you have for us uh i have been reading a weird piece of fiction called plane crash recently and i just stumbled across the most important new concept that i've run across this year from reading that uh it is a type of dignity uh they call it dignity i think it's a specific kind of dignity that i'm just calling dothalani dignity for now uh briefly it means that anyone with such dignity harbors no ill will to someone behaving in a way that they have a right to behave uh for example probably the most relevant example reasonably turning down a request if someone does that they have a right to do that you don't ever bear them any ill will for that uh i feel that there has been a dearth of such dignified people in my life and i think there is a dearth of such people in society as a whole and i think that this sort of dignity is an absolute requirement for any society which contains people with varying levels of power it's vital for parents of children it's vital for people that have something that someone else wants it's vital for anyone that could physically or reputationally harm anyone else it's just a bedrock principle of being a good person and before last week i did not have a word for it and now i do and it's always something I've kind of like, I believe everybody has some idea of it, but having a handle to specifically refer to something to is, is it's good. You, you can now talk about it in a more concrete way. Uh, also, you can't have healthy polyamory without this sort of concept of Dathalani dignity. So we should all not only work to cu- cultivate such dignity in ourselves, we should also encourage our peers to have this sort of dignity and maybe consider distancing ourselves from people who don't, uh, even just for our own benefit. Uh, I do think it'd be great to have some sort of modifier to this word to single it out in concept space because just dignity is too broad. It means too many other things. And Dothalani dignity is too esoteric. Most people will have no idea what the hell those first two words before it are. So if you have some ideas of a modifier to use with this to to isolate it a bit more, please send suggestions to Wes at embrodsky at gmail.com. The word you're looking for is honor. Is it honor? Yeah. I think honor is a slightly different thing than that. I'm just going to call it Bradskyism. All right. Uh, My trip deployment this week is that contract law is premised on complete bullshit. Mm. Contract law has its origins in ancient Greece and is one of the most bedrock principles (laughs) of society. (laughs) 
I don't know what uh, <laughs> what's going on back there. David, are you not the person who likes the virtue ethics of ancient Greece? Um, no. I like oh, the virtue okay. ethics of Thomas Aquinas. Oh, all right. The Greek version was kind of crap. But David does love freedom of contract. <laughs> I, Again, I I'm want not to necessarily more endorsing the ancient Greek version. Please go on, Professor Nardnik. <laughs> right, I will. David's so, pointing out he hasn't slept in a long time. <laughs> yeah, right? All right. So the basic requirements for a contract are a meeting of the minds and some kind of exchange. The meaning of the minds requirement historically meant that for a contract to be valid and enforceable, there had to be mutual assent to each term of the contract. In other words, both parties had to actually understand and agree. For a person to agree to something, they had to know what they were agreeing to and intend to be bound by it. Now, modern contract law has completely gotten rid of that requirement and replaced it with the need for something called manifestation of assent. Now, a contract is whatever a person can be convinced to sign, regardless of whether they've actually read it or understand what it means. As long as you click the I agree button, you're bound by everything in the terms and conditions, no matter what's in there. Businesses know that almost nobody reads these things, so they draft them to be ridiculous, ridiculously favorable to the company. The modern life involves being confronted with these contracts multiple times a day. Nearly everything you use, whether paid or not, has dozens of pages of terms and conditions that go along with it. Most of the time, they don't even show it to you. But even when they do, they know you're just going to scroll to the bottom and click agree. Why wouldn't you? Even if you were a sophisticated contract lawyer, nobody has the time and energy to read 100 pages of dense legalese every time they want to use a product. It is shameful that our court system enforces these farcical contracts as if anyone intended to be bound by them. At minimum, there should be an affirmative defense in any breach of contract action called Nobody Reads This Contract. And businesses who want to enforce them should be required to disclose how much time the average consumer spends reading the contract or what percentage of people actually click the terms and conditions link. If the defendant can show that a reasonable person would not have read the contract terms, they shouldn't be enforceable. Now, I'm sympathetic to the idea that businesses need to protect themselves and should be allowed to give people discounts in exchange for favorable contract terms and that they can't force consumers to read the proposed contract. So my proposed solution is for trade associations to develop industry standard contract language that consumers can review once, then know what they're getting into whenever they see it in the future. Then if a company sticks to the standard language, there's a good argument that the consumer knew or should have known what they were agreeing to. If companies want to deviate from the standard language, they can, but each term should need to be presented separately in plain language in a way that people are likely to read before the customer enters their payment information. This lets companies with special needs make special contracts, but creates enough friction in the transaction that companies are going to be discouraged from changing the language unless it's really important. Now, to be clear, I'm very in favor of freedom of contract. I'm just not in favor of tricking people into giving a fake agreement to something they've never read and wouldn't understand if they did. I propose we go back to the old rule where a contract required a meeting of the minds, not just clicking an I agree button. That was a good one. Thank you. All right. That's our show for this week. Uh, please follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Please review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Substack. You'll get episodes early. You'll get access to our bonus episodes, like the one we're going to be recording at Vibe Camp. And you'll get access to our subscriber-only Discord channel. And come back in two weeks, same rat time, same rat channel. Bye. Bye.